I want to share with you a Pentecost message today. And we're assembled in this room uh, as a in uh, beyond, you know, as we go out into the realm of of uh, internet radio and social media. We're assembled in this room as a group of Christian followers with uh, uh, an evangelical emphasis on salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way you're going to get to heaven is through and by Jesus. Did you know that? If you don't, now you do. The only way you don't get to heaven is through and by Jesus. It's through his work, uh, the work of a vir- the virgin birth, the sinless life of Jesus, and uh, his shed blood, and then uh, his death on the criminal's cross, and his victoriously arising out of a borrowed tomb uh, from death back unto life. That is the basis of our salvation. We as a, uh, a evangelical Pentecostal movement, we, uh, we embrace the public testimony of, of water baptism. We had one here just a few months ago. And uh, anytime that you uh, feel that you would like to be baptized in water, by all means, let me know. Don't wait on an invitation. We also partake in the in the ordinance of Holy Communion. So we're very much evangelical uh, and uh, somewhat Protestant in all of that, uh, in all of those doings. Now, but what distinguishes us as Pentecostals, of which we are, what distinguishes us as Pentecostals from uh, Main Street Evangelicals is the position that we hold on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now let me uh, let me share this with you so it's understood that that no person can ever be saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for you to be saved without the Holy Spirit being involved. It's impossible that you are a saved Christian without the Holy Spirit doing a work in your life. This uh, this a little bit of lesson here, if you would, this morning. So, but in the realm of the Pentecostal doctrine, uh, we embrace, if you would, a a uh, definite work, a third definite work of of uh, of Christ in the sense of a spiritual baptism, different than being baptized in water. Uh, yeah, being baptized in water is very essential. It is an ordinance, I've already said. But we do embrace the spirit baptism that incorporates in that spirit baptism, it incorporates the manifest gifts of the Holy Spirit into our witness, our witness of Christ, if you would. So having said that, I'm going to make a statement that may even sound or appear or may even become controversial to you in your mind if, as you're sitting here, if you're a Pentecostal, deeply steeped in Pentecostalism. Yet, many years of observation has drawn me to this conclusion. Many Pentecostals have centralized the day of Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit baptism to merely speaking in tongues. Now, there's been tongues manifest in this service this morning. There's been prayer language that has been manifest. There's there there has been praying in the spirit long before we ever got here in this room this morning. And yes, tongues were very much present on this original day of Pentecost, as we call it. They've been present in this uh, gathering this morning. But Acts chapter two gives us a detailed account of all of that. Uh, but it also gives us the details of many other manifestation gifts 
that were in operation on that first day of Pentecost. Uh, the scripture actually offers us to many, offers to us many different additional accounts of the Holy Spirit infilling. And in all of those, certainly while there has been, uh, the gift of tongues evident that would follow and come after the initial day of Pentecost, uh, that's where we've come as a Pentecostal church to putting doctrinal emphasis on the baptism of the Holy Spirit shown forth by the initial evidence of Speaking in unknown tongues. So, with having said all of that, yes, we are a Pentecostal group of believers. We are, uh, the Pentecostal Holiness Church is a Pentecostal denomination and, and that is the, the, what establishes that is our, our theology, if you would, in part, our theology on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, being a separate work than our work of salvation. Now, let me say this. Uh, the, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not what gets us to heaven. It's the blood of Jesus that gets us to heaven. Not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So if, even if somebody differentiates in their theology and they don't, they don't necessarily agree with us upon a baptism of the Holy Spirit, it by no means means that they're not saved. Okay? Y'all with me? Still with me? There's many people that are saved that, that, that don't embrace that theology. That doesn't mean they're not saved. But it, yet, it doesn't mean that we're not, that doesn't mean that we're better than them. But thank God that for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism as we call it. So my, my goal this morning is not to reduce the emphasis of Pentecost as we know it in the speaking of tongues, but it is to raise an awareness in this message, uh, of the day of Pentecost. Uh, I'm of the notion that the depths of Pentecost are much deeper than any of us in this room can fathom. The depths of Pentecost span much broader than any of us in this room can even imagine or, of course, realize. Apart from salvation... Bought through Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm of the notion that the, the, uh, I'm of the opinion, my personal opinion, it is probably the second most important occurrence that occurred in the New Testament church. In reality, it is more than occurrence. You see, uh, we listened to, I was listening to a message, Sarah and I listened to it driving this morning, I listened to it yesterday. It, it, in fact, it's more than occurrence. You know, sometimes we behold the day of Pentecost has an occurrence. It happened on the, in the, in the center of Jerusalem, up on a hill, if you've ever been there, and the upper room is actually like a, a, a gazebo on steroids, okay? It's this, it's this huge, it's this huge gazebo-like building built out of stone, marble, and, and beautiful stones, and, and it sits on the hill in the middle of Jerusalem. And that's where the day, on top of that hill is where what we call the day of Pentecost occurred. But the day of Pentecost is more than an occurrence. It's a dispensation. It is, in reality, it's what most of us call the New Testament church. It was the birthing place. Of the New Testament church. Salvation came through Jesus Christ. The church was birthed into power. On that first day of Pentecost that we know it. And since then the church is living in a dispensation of power and anointing. That is given to us to be witnesses according to the scripture to all men. 
Okay? So, again, moving along. This morning, my goal is not to reduce the emphasis of tongues in the Pentecostal blessing, but it's to raise that awareness. It's, and, and I believe it is that it is a, probably in my estimation, it is the second most important occurrence in the New Testament. The, the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism as we know it, according to John chapter 15 verse 36, Jesus identifies the work of the Holy Ghost as being the advocate. Our helper, our assistant, if you will, our enabler. In life groups this morning, we were talking about enabling people. Sometimes, sometimes we have to be careful not to enable people into bad habits and, and addictions that can destroy their life. But the Holy Spirit enables us to victorious living. He enables us to, He enables us to be the witnesses of Jesus that we're to be. Not only is the work of the Holy Spirit found in John 15 and 36, the advocate, when you turn to Paul's writing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, you find there that the work of the Holy Spirit is also the restrainer. And it says that he that, only he that nows allow will allow until he be taken out of the way. And, and, and when you look at the, in the, the work of the restrainer, let me tell you right now, as bad as things may seem to us around the earth, as much as, bad, you know, we walked into a grocery store yesterday, and I'm not saying this to alarm anybody, but it, it was a bit of alarming when you walk in and you go down the aisles of that grocery store, and it is a, it is a strong grocery store chain, and you walk down the aisles of that store, and there was very little food in that store. The ice cream cooler especially was nearly empty, and that's serious business when you're running out of ice cream, okay? But in spite of all that's going on in the world, there is a restrainer at work, and that's the Holy Ghost. And if it weren't for the Holy Ghost, pardon if this expression bothers you, but it is the truth. If it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, it would be all hell on earth right now. And when the church leaves in the rapture, the Holy, the Holy Ghost was given to the church for the church to be witnesses to all men. When the church leaves, guess who leaves with the church? The Holy Spirit leaves with the church. And then sets into all hell on earth will break loose. We call it the great tribulation. So the work of the Holy Spirit is here for a reason. But I want to preach to you a message that I've, I've entitled the Pentecost then and now. I want you to go back with me and I'll try to expedite this this morning. But I want you to go with me, not to the second chapter of Acts just yet. But I want you to go with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 23. The book of, the book of Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to read 15 through the 22nd verse. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought forth the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Anybody know what seven times seven is? It's 49. Count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread... Made from the grain, two loaves of bread of two tenths of an ephah of finest flour baked with yeast, baked with yeast, leavened, 
baked with yeast, as a wave offering of the first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull, two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offering and drink offerings, a food offering and an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, and together with the bread of the first fruits, they are sacred, they are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather gleanings for your harvest. Leave them, in other words, leave some crop in the corner of your fields for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Now you can go to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, I just read in the very first part of that verse, and it says, when the day of Pentecost came. I think if you're reading the King James Version, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I want to preach to you just for the next few minutes about Pentecost then and now. I want you to understand the circumstances of the Feast of Pentecost. In, there are three solemn feasts that were given, uh, to the priest and to Jerusalem. Three solemn feasts that the Jewish males would attend each year in Jerusalem. The first one was the Feast of the First Fruits, which we probably more so know it as Passover. If you remember, Passover was very critical in the time that Jesus was crucified. He was the perfect Passover lamb. Then the second feast is the Feast of Weeks, which begins seven weeks later, known as Pentecost. Pentecosta is a word that means 50, and that begins on the first day of the week following the seventh seventh Sabbath. So today is the first day of the week following the seven Sabbaths, if you count your calendar back, since Passover. This is Pentecost Sunday. The third feast is the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is later on in the year. And, uh, we're not, I'm not going to focus on that this morning. Maybe this fall we'll even get into the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Passover, the, the Passover feast, the Feast of the First Fruits, it was a foreshadowing up until the time of Christ. It was, it can serve to be a foreshadowing of the plan of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrificial lamb, as I've already mentioned. It was a type and a representation, the Passover, of the plan of salvation. But Pentecost then, and Pentecost now, Pentecost was the harvest feast. It was the harvest feast. Sometimes you'll find it called the Feast of Weeks. But Pentecost was a, was a day that was set aside for worship and a celebration of harvest. 
not just uh, only to har- to celebrate what had already been harvested, but to celebrate what was to come. The prophetic uh, picture that is given in the Feast of Pentecost, and it, this wasn't invented. Keep this in mind. It wasn't invented on that first Pentecost as we know it. This is a feast that had gone on for generation after generation after generation after generation, and it was sacred. But it was a prophetic picture of the first fruit being planted on Passover, which is Christ. And now harvest has come. Jesus was the first fruit given on Passover. And then when the day of Pentecost, as we read in Acts chapter 2, was fully come. And we know that story, most of us, that there was 120 gathered in that upper room. And there they were in one accord, they were one mind, and they were praying, and they were seeking the Lord. And it was there the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. If you would, that is a foreshadowing and a representation of the New Testament church. The the Feast of Weeks is, the, the, the day of Pentecost is. And it was a celebration. It's that prophetic picture. The first fruits. Christ has come. Now the harvest is before us. And when we read John chapter 4 and verse 35, you find there that Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Even in his day, he declared, the fields are white unto harvest. But he's asked an all-important question, but who is going to go and work those fields? I think we all know the question of that. He tells us to pray the Lord of the harvest, uh, uh, that, that workers will go into the field. But ultimately, He is calling us. He's calling me. He's calling you that we go into that field that is white to harvest. White to harvest means everything is ready. You know, everything is set before us. You know, we look around us and we, we, we say this. I say it all the time. I believe the stage is set. I believe things are ready for the Lord. But do you know this? Even this first day of Pentecost, even when Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest, he was looking ahead. And even we we are living in the dispensation of grace, the work of salvation. The fields have been white ever since this New Testament church was birthed and the fields are still white today. And if the Lord tarries till tomorrow, the fields are going to be white tomorrow and it's up to us to go out and reap the field. Now, I realize it's plant planting season right now. Nobody's picking corn yet, around here anyway. Nobody's pulling tomatoes off the vine yet. Now, some of you may have put out some lettuce and onions real early, and if you want to bring me a poke full of those, that means a bag for those that don't understand. That's fine. Bring me a poke full of lettuce and onions. I got some fat back meat. I can fix it right up, okay? But but listen, we're planting now. You, many of you are planting gardens right now with the anticipation of the harvest that is going to come. Listen, we are living in the New Testament church. We are living in the Dispensation are the time of the harvest. To celebrate the gift without first recognizing and gleaning the harvest of souls is an error to us. You see, reality is what I'm saying is we're missing the point. 
You see, we're missing the point. If we, if we want to come in and, and, and of course we are acknowledging and we are celebrating Pentecost today, but if we want to celebrate Pentecost, we want to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we want to celebrate the infilling of the Spirit, we want to celebrate all of the manifest gifts, and particularly we, we really, uh, we put a concerted, uh, effort or concerted focus on the tongues. If we want to celebrate all the gifts of the Spirit, but forget about that the fields are white to harvest and that we're to go out. If you read that Levitical law that I read to you from uh, there in the text, we're to go out and glean the fields and then come in and celebrate. You see, the yes, we celebrate our salvation. Yes, we celebrate God's goodness. But the greatest celebration that the church, the New Testament church can have is reaching out and finding one that was once lost, but now he's found. He or she was blind, but now they see. And we have reached those and we have snatched some out of the fire. Even by fear, Jude said, if we have to, and we have pulled a soul out of the fire, not of our own ability, not of our own account, but by the equipping of the Holy Spirit, we have reached into somebody's life and we have touched their life and they've come to know Jesus. Listen, that's what the spirit of Pentecost is all about. So, let's not just celebrate the gifts without first recognizing the need of gleaning and reaping the harvest. It was a celebration that followed harvest. The Jews incorporated the giving of the law into their celebration of Pentecost. The Jews celebrated the giving of the new grain. That's why they were instructed to bake two loaves of bread, even bread with leaven in it. Many scholars believe that this bread here was, it was not unleavened, but it was leavened even to symbolize that even the church would the church would occupy in sinful times the church would occupy the sinful nature of humanity but yet the church, the harvest would be great even though the workers are few the Jews incorporated the, the the giving of the law of Moses. They celebrated the law that that was given unto Moses up on the mountain, and that became their primary focus for them gathering on these feasts of the Pentecost up until this one that we read about in Acts chapter two. The Levitical instruction called for an offering of new grain made of the finest flour. Jesus declared this. He said, "I am the bread of life." And Jesus was made of the finest of everything. He was, he was made of the finest oil. He was made of the finest flour. But yet, Jesus had no leaven in him because he had no sin. But so no longer with this Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2, so no longer would the people be tied to the yoke of the law that they knew through Moses, but they would find themselves now operating and living under the law of grace. You know, the commandments have their place. Don't misunderstand me. The Ten Commandments are good. Uh, there, there, there actually are many commandments that are given throughout Scripture. It's not just only ten as we know them as was given to Moses upon the mountain. And the Ten Commandments are good. And they have their place in the work of God. Even in the New Testament church, they still have their place. But understand this. What the Bible tells us, what the law could not do, that Jesus did. That law that was 
given to Moses on Mount Sinai, it didn't say it didn't it, it, it didn't save anybody. It was unable to save anybody. But there's a law of grace that was initiated through Jesus Christ, and that law is empowered and comes to fruition on the day of Pentecost. And it's not the law of of Moses that will save us, but it's the law of grace. Yet the law of Moses is still of very much of effect because Jesus said, "I didn't come to kill the law." But I come to fulfill it. So, a better one than the law of Moses is here is what the Hebrew writer described in Hebrews chapter 3. One that is no, we're no longer bound and tied to tablets of stone, but we're given over to a heart of flesh through Jesus Christ. A better one than Moses is here. A better way to be established in Christ was fulfilled through the church on this unforgettable day of Pentecost. Pentecost is actually the time, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, is the time that the church moved from a ritualistic, legalistic religion that was given by Moses. And that was that was what God ordained in that season, in that dispensation, consumed with formalities. But it moved, it transitioned to on the day of Pentecost, a spirit moved, God-breathed church full of the power of the Holy Ghost. Cloven tongues of fire sat down upon each person above their heads that were dwelling cloven tongues of fire and a mighty rushing wind, a powerful wind, not just some little breeze, but a wind like a hurricane or a tornado came through that room where the people were sitting and suddenly the church went from, from, from being a church that had known the law of Moses and then they had seen their leader, their teacher, their rabbi, their their Jesus, their Christ was crucified on the cross and some 500 of them encountered Him after He rose from the grave. But now 120 are in that upper room and they are being enabled and empowered with a baptism of Holy Ghost and fire. That's very important to us because what happened in all of that was a birthing. Sarah's dad had his 90th birthday. I told you that a while ago. Every one of us in this room has a birthday. Now, some of you ladies don't have them as often as you do. I know you reach, ladies reach a point where they only have birthdays every 10 years. You know, don't be pointing, AK. But it's the birthday of the New Testament church. Every Christian church that exists on, and mind what I'm saying, every Christian church that exists on the face of the earth finds its ancestral roots in Acts chapter 2. That was the birthing of the New Testament church. Before Acts chapter 2, before that day occurred, they didn't know, they didn't quite understand really in the fullness of what was going on. They didn't know what, they had went, some of them had went back to their fishing boats, some of them had went back to their nets, some of them were hiding in their houses because of fear of death, but all of a sudden, on Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1, when the day of Pentecost in that particular year was fully come, and those 120 people are praying in that 
that upper room, something happened. And where they had been, if you would, sort of in the closet, they'd been locked in away in their houses. All of a sudden, some hard-headed guy named Peter steps out on the edge of that city and he begins to proclaim a message. And in that message, as a result of the words of that message and the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in that very moment, which probably didn't take longer than five or ten minutes, three thousand souls were saved in that instance. You see, that's the birthing of the New Testament church. And every Christian church has its roots going back to Acts chapter 2. It should be the heart of the church. It should be what we do. The first public message following the crucifixion occurred. 3,000 souls are saved. It's no longer Jesus proclaiming His message, but now it's the church proclaiming the message. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That is our obligation, church. That is our, that is our commissioning is to declare through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of Him that Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And what happens? The church is birthed. And though, yes, we have this building we're in this morning and there's many buildings that are much larger and more elaborate than what we have, even though we're very blessed. But I want you to know this. There is a tabernacle like has nobody has ever seen before. There is a tabernacle like no one could ever imagine. It's a tabernacle that had not... That, you know, they, they, they knew, the Jews understood, and they knew about the tabernacle in the wilderness. They, they knew of Solomon's temple. They knew of these great places of worship. But all of a sudden, the tabernacle, the tabernacle made of flesh and blood, a tabernacle of people that were followers of Jesus Christ, comes into to existence full of the Holy Ghost and proclaiming the name of Jesus. I'm trying to finish up quickly here. And what happens? I don't I only have 15 points, just so y'all know. Now I don't have that many. What happens then is a proclamation of prophecy occurs. Because Peter says, hmm, Don't y'all be upset now, don't y'all be alarmed. These people are not drunk like you all think they are. But this was that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel several hundred years ago. This is the New Testament church. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the last days began on the first day. And the first days are still beginning. You see, we talk about that we're living in the last day. Let me tell you something. We've been living in the last day since Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Because there's nothing else that Jesus has to do except step out on the clouds of the glory and call for His church to come home. We're living in the New Testament dispensation. We're living in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We're living under the plan of salvation brought to us through and by Jesus Christ. I live in His grace. I operate in His mercies. I need them every day. But I am empowered and I am equipped by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is what it will empower the church until it leaves this world someday. So the last days began on the first day. It began on the birthday. And fifthly, is the releasing of a supernatural. Releasing the supernatural. Let me say this. Releasing of the supernatural. 
Now, I'm, I've been around this several years now myself. I didn't grow up Pentecostal as a young child. Yeah, most of y'all know that. I was Episcopalian. What little bit of experience I had. I was first cousin to the Catholic Church. No offense to the Catholic. There's some good spirit-filled Catholic people all over the world. Good spirit-filled Episcopalians. But my Pentecostal experiences, I've heard say, Oh, AK, the Holy Ghost is all over you. Oh, Elaine, Elaine, He's on you. The Holy Spirit, He's on you. He's on you. He's on you right now. But understand this. The Holy Ghost doesn't get on you. He doesn't get over you. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. And he gets in you. When something is in you, when something's on me, my wife does that to me all the time, especially when I'm eating and driving. She said, you've got that all over you. And I'm going down the road and, and she's, she's got a napkin over her. And now here I'm trying to drive and she's, listen, something's on me. If something's on me, I can brush it off. If something's on me, sometimes if it's really bad, she'll say, don't rub it, don't rub it. Just don't be rubbing it. Just wait till we get where we're going and you stand up and shake it off. Don't you, baby? She takes good care of me. I want y'all to know that. Listen, if something's on me, I can rub it off. If something's on me, I can shake it off sometimes. And if it's really bad, if something's on me, she can throw it in a washing machine with Tide Pods. Don't eat them. But use them in your washing machine. And she can, and she can wash it off. But listen to me. But when something is in you, when something is in you, the Holy Ghost is not in us, is not on us, but He is in us. He is an indwelling. He is, He is an inward dwelling. He's not something I can shake off. He's not something I can dust off. He, he's not something I can wash out. He is in me. And a release of the supernatural is in the church, not on the church. And if we can begin to think about that in a different way. Listen, the wind that came through that room, it was the pneuma. It was the breath of God. Listen, Nathan does a great job teaching on the on the creation of man. And, and, and I, we get tickled at him sometimes because he's very demonstrative in doing something. But you know, when God breathed breath into it, we can't see the breath, but we know the breath's there. Inside of me are two lungs, and those lungs go up. And those lungs go down. The breath of God, my breath is not on me, but it is in me. When God breathed His breath, the pneuma came through that upper room. He breathed life into His church. And His church is breathing from the inside. And it's alive. And it's doing well. I've got news for you today. When we see that He spread through that room like fire. Fire is sanctifying. It's purifying. It is a display of energy. And the church is fueled by that energy. That's why the old timers, and some of you are old enough to be old timers in this room. They used to get up, and we used to have those testimony services. You know, people got up, you didn't worry too much about what they were saying, you know, going to say and all like that. Because if they even didn't say, have anything to say, I, I remember them little old ladies getting up with them granny buns on the back of their heads. And they'd say, they'd say, Pastor, 
Pastor, I don't have nothing to say, but I want to say I thank God for saving me, sanctifying me, and filling me with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And about the time the fire come out, their heads would cut loose and there would be bobby pins that would fly from one end of the church to the other end of the church. And some of y'all smiling at me and you know what I'm talking about. Listen, when the Holy Ghost with fire comes, He is a purifier, but He is also an energizer and He will do a work in our life. Listen, the church is alive. Yes, the church does talk in tongues. Yes, the church has manifest gifts that occur in it. But understand this, that it's not just about that, but it's about an underlying empowerment. The breath of the Holy Spirit breathed into our life. The fire of the Holy Ghost energizing our life. Not just our life as an individual, but our life as a church. The church is alive. The church is well. The church is doing good. If you're dead, it's because you've not plugged in to the right source. If you're if you're struggling, yes, get over your struggle. God will help you. I'm not mean to be to, to, to be insensitive to your need, but God has called us and equipped us to be the church. So even when you're struggling in your faith, He's helping you through. Pentecost then is about keeping some rituals. It's about keeping some commemoration. It was about celebrating harvest time. But all that was a foreshadowing of what would come. What would come from Leviticus chapter 23 was pointing with a one-way arrow. That one-way arrow pointed to Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost come. Harvest time has arrived. We've been, listen, you plant in gardens now and they'll grow. July and August, most of y'all get your maters canned, your corn frozen, all like that. In a couple months, your harvest will be gone. But let me tell you, a harvest began in Acts chapter 2 and it has never ended. We're still in the middle of harvest time. There's still souls to be won. There's still lives to be changed. There's still needs to be met. Church, we are equipped with the power of the Holy Ghost to reap the harvest. Would you bow your heads with me? You're in this room and you've met and you're not saved. You're in this room and you're not saved. There is no way that you can be full of the Holy Ghost. Because there's no way that you can be baptized in the Spirit without first witnessing the Spirit, Holy Spirit through salvation. The Holy Spirit's work, He's in fact, you're probably here because He's drawing you, no doubt. But if you're in this room this morning and you're unsaved, you've never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ through faith. I'm not intending on embarrassing anybody. In fact, I won't embarrass you. But with heads bowed and eyes closed in this room today, if you're here and you're unsaved, 